always spoken for her. I'd sealed up my heart, zipped up my jeans, then walked into the sitting room to tell her. She'd said nothing, just wept in my arms. I'd done everything I could to keep my own tears at bay, for her, for Star. I'd had to be strong because she'd needed me. That was then. Madam, is there something you need? A cloud of musky perfume descended from above me. I looked up and saw the stewardess leaning over me. Uh, no, thanks. You pressed the call bell? She said in an exaggerated whisper, indicating the rest of the passengers who were all asleep. After all, it was four in the morning, London time. Sorry, I whispered back as I removed my offending elbow from the button that had alerted her. Typical. She gave me the kind of nod I remembered one of my teachers had given me when she'd seen me opening my eyes during morning prayer at school. Then, with a rustle of silk, the stewardess disappeared back to her lair. I did my best to make myself comfortable and close my eyes, wanting to be like the four hundred or so random souls who had managed to escape from the horror of hurtling through the air in an aluminium tube by going to sleep. As usual, I felt left out, not part of the crowd. Of course, I could have booked into business class. I still had some money left from my legacy, but not enough that I wanted to waste it on just another few centimetres of room. Most of my money had gone on buying the swanky riverside apartment for me and Star in London. I'd thought that a proper home was what she'd wanted, that it would make her happy. But it so hadn't. Now here I was, no further on than this time last year when I'd sat next to my sister in economy class, flying across the world to Thailand. Except this time, Star wasn't with me and I wasn't running to something. I was running away. Would you like breakfast, madam? I opened my eyes, feeling groggy and disorientated, and stared up at the same stewardess who had visited me in the middle of the night. I saw that all the cabin lights were on, and some of the window blinds were open, revealing the pink hue of dawn. No, thanks, just coffee. Black, please. She nodded and retreated, and I wondered why, given I was paying for this entire experience, I felt guilty about asking for anything. Where are you headed? I turned to face my neighbour, whom I'd only viewed in profile up until now, and even then it had been a nose, a mouth and a lock of blonde hair hanging out of a black hoodie. Now he was full frontal, staring at me. He was probably no more than eighteen, the traces of adolescent acne still visible on his chin and forehead. I felt like a pensioner next to him. Bangkok, then on to Australia. Cool, he commented, as he tucked into his prison-issue tray of inedible scrambled eggs, over-fried bacon, and a long pink thing that was masquerading as a sausage. I'll head there eventually but I'm going to check out Thailand first. I've been told the full moon parties are something else. They are. You been? 
a few times, I replied, his question immediately downloading a selection of memories in my mind. Which one do you suggest? Heard Copanyang is the best. It's been ages since I went there last, but I hear it's huge now, maybe a couple of thousand people. My favourite place is Rayleigh Beach in Krabby. It's very chilled, but I suppose it depends on what you want. Heard of Krabby, he said, his jaw working overtime to chew the sausage. I'm meeting my mates in Bangkok. We've still got a couple of weeks until the full moon to decide anyway. You meeting friends out in Oz? Yeah, I lied. Stopping over in Bangkok for a while? Just the night. I sensed his excitement as the plane began its descent into Suwanapum Airport, and the usual set of instructions was issued by the cabin staff for us captives. It's all a joke, really.